land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by The Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of The Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Pete Wardgen, welcome to the very first episode of the Australian Property Podcast of 2024. I'm excited to be back on. Thanks, Owen. It's, it's great to be here, mate. We uh, we set out, and I think Chris still says it in the intro, that uh, we we set out to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. And uh, about not quite a year on, um, we are well and truly on our way to having a great community around us that support the show, tune in twice every week, uh, and just enjoy what particularly you and Chris and Amy put together uh, each and every week for folks. So for those of you that are new to the Australian Property Podcast, um, we cover everything from first home buying to the latest in grants, property news, rents, uh, building, developing, rent, uh, renovating, you name it. We even chuck in advisor Q&A, mortgage broker Q&A, tax Q&A, buyer's agent Q&A, everything, and we give you free resources that are available in the show notes of every episode. So if you look down in Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast right now, there is a list of resources in every episode that you can use. Most of them are free. Um, But for the month of January, Pete, we are covering the essential topics. We've got four episodes coming for folks. This is the first of the four. Uh, There are episodes ranging from, you know, how do what do you look for in a property? How do you get financing, when do you go about that? You know, all of these things that we're going to cover as essentials this month, but also there will be some other episodes that are kind of like more of the same that people are familiar with, so interviews and those types of things. Uh, but this is the first episode. We're going to basically just set the scene for people that may be going new year, new me, or new year, kind of a new me. I want to get a property strategy done and dusted. Um, so maybe for just a quick moment, I know you've done this a few times. Um, you've written 
Well, now you've written or you're in the process of writing your seventh book, co-authoring your seventh book. So you've done this, you've documented it over many years. Um, can you just maybe just relive your property story? Like where did you start and how did you start? Um, yes. So apologies if you've he heard this before because it is uh, something I've talked about on various things over the years. But uh, yeah, my my background was um, in professional services as a chartered accountant. So I was originally mainly interested in the stock market because that's mm. kind of what you do as an accountant. You're drawing up company financials, sometimes auditing them. Uh, yeah, later in my career, I was I was a Group FC, so I was preparing listed company financials. So that that was that was really my thing, you know, fundamental analysis. When I met my um, then girlfriend, now wife, um, she had got into property at a very young age, largely because um well she come from a farming background and her parents had basically taught her you buy land and never sell it that was that was their whole thing and that's all they've ever done and um so she um bought her first house at a very young age and when we met she was absolutely miles ahead of me financially uh, she's a year or two older as well which probably made a bit of a difference so it was i guess partly that that sort of turned me over to the property side because i was you know, I had to sort of respect the results, I guess, because she was absolutely killing the mortgage and, and seeing uh, mm. some, well, we, uh, her first uh, property was a place called Cambridge in England, um, a, a market which went through a phenomenal boom. Prices basically tripled in about six or seven years. Um, and it's, I guess it's probably one of the very few markets that's outperformed London over the past few decades, I guess Cambridge and Oxford. Um, so yeah, it was largely that. He was like, well, you know, I'd, I'd seen uh, the results. So I thought, well, I need to get on this bandwagon. I bought my first property, and then we subsequently then bought an investment property jointly. Um, so that was, I guess, that was kind of the foundation. That we we had a property each, and then we bought our first investment. Then we bought a place to live in and renovated it. I guess we just sort of built on it from there. Um, so yeah, see, I guess that that's how it sort of started mm. out. Well, and then we went really hard into property uh, after the global financial crisis. So I guess we bought a few properties in Sydney at that time, which was scary, but uh, worked out well. And also uh, back in the UK, because prices really tanked um, around two thousand and eight nine in England, or probably through a two a two or three year period there. And you can pick up some very cheap properties at the time. So. Yeah, I guess um, yeah, it's been a long uh, journey. I see. Uh, I'm 47 now, so uh, yeah, it, we've had a few good few cycles both in Australia and overseas. And uh, yeah, I guess that's the abridged version. We've we've always bought and we've never sold. And uh, I guess the strategy is quite simple: really buy, renovate, rent out, and hold. You know, it's not not uh, not rocket surgery, as I say. Yeah. Well. Um... So you've you've bought, never sold, which is something that's always been impressed upon me. Is Buying the right property is the essential ingredient and holding on to it because it's a good asset. Um, and obviously, you've got to be se sensible. A lot of what we hear in the news, a lot of what the profiles that we see of people on social media, they brag about how many properties they own. They brag about you know the, the, the vast property portfolio that they own. But oftentimes, it's just a bunch of really cheap properties really low quality and they can end up in a lot of trouble whereas you've done this for a very long time as you said and it starts with a very simple long-term focus now my journey is very different to yours in that i own the property i'm recording in it right now um we bought this during covid 
prior to that, um, we basically used all of our money. Um, and my background, for those of you that don't know, is in investing as well and finance, not as an accountant, but as more on the financial advice and analyst side of things. And um, I was kind of like a Warren Buffett disciple. I still am to an extent, let's be honest. Warren Buffett disciple looking for companies to invest in, started the business early days, kept investing in individual shares and now more ETFs or exchange traded funds, which are basically just like index funds for those of you that are familiar. So I use the share market predominantly as my you know, nine to five, that's where I spend most of my focus. But more increasingly, I've shifted to how can I do both? A lot of the times that we debate, I know you've done a few debates in 2023 on this topic of property or shares. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think it's property and shares. It's basically just do something. Just do something with your money and you will be okay. And I think the longer you spend trying to pick which one is best for you all the time, um, that's time that you could be putting your money to work. Um, I, I'm going to ask you for one maybe regret that you have about either your property or just your finances in general, but I'll go first, Pete. My biggest regret with money is that we didn't use the savings that I had had in my early 20s from working pretty hard. We didn't use those savings to buy a property because one of the things I I knew at the time, I knew it on paper how to do it, but I didn't do it because I didn't think it was a good investment. Um, I could have bought a property and then used that money to pay off a bit of the loan, then pulled some of that equity out to then invest in my shares. I didn't think that I could almost have two for one in the sense of put my money down, get exposure to a property, slowly pay off that mortgage, and then redraw some of that equity to buy shares and continue down that part of my life. So that's by far my biggest um, mistake I've ever made with money. But at the same time, I did use that money to go and start a business. So um, we live and we learn, but that would definitely be one of the things that I would advise anyone in the early days is get creative with how you structure your property investments get creative with how you structure your entire personal finances um, for the maximum benefit, particularly when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s, when you can have that long growth runway. That's mine, Pete. Do you have anything, is there anything that you would have done differently? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think like every single person who gets that light bulb moment when they learn about how compound growth works and compounding, every single person would they go, well, shit, why didn't I start earlier? You know, like, so yeah. I suppose, yeah, I would start earlier. I'd probably ignore most predictions in the media and focus on the long term. I think mm. if you were uh, talking about personal finances, I, I mean, in terms of regrets, I, I wouldn't smoke. I, I just, I mean, there's, there's <laughs> things you can spend money on in your life. But I mean, what a total waste of money that was, you know. So there's things <laughs> like that. Uh, and I, yeah, I think in... Um, in the lead up to the financial crisis, I made some bad moves with margin loans. But I think, um, I mean, regret is an interesting concept, right? I mean, it's almost a philosophical question. Should you regret the past or, mm. you know, or do you just say, well, there's no regrets, only lessons. And they can be useful, I guess, to the extent that they help you make better decisions in the future. Because I think you could, you know, you could say if I had my time again, but I wouldn't want to change a lot of things about my life today. You know, mm. I wouldn't want to change my wife or my kids or, um, you know, and if you went back and changed something, well, who knows where I might be. I mean, I, I might be living in, you know, Victoria, uh, you know, like uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but yeah, you know, all sequences would change. Like I don't look back and regret anything, but there's certainly things, yeah, I look back and think, yeah, okay, I'd probably start sooner. I'd try and avoid, you know, university debt probably and, 
you know, I'd, uh, mm. there's a few things I would do differently in terms of spending, but, you know, all part of life's uh, rich tapestry, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. And for those of you that don't know, I do live in Victoria, uh, so <laughs> hence the inside joke uh, here. Uh, and on this day, on this day, many years ago, I believe Pete got married to his wife, so we are recording on a very special day. And uh, they did take a honeymoon to Victoria. So they went down the coast, which is very unusual, uh, I must say. December 2008. So uh, it must have been the depths of the global financial crisis uh, to, to have a, a camper vanning holiday three weeks down the coast there. But uh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. It, was, it just, um, yeah, I had an old uh, newspaper cutting from the Sydney Morning Herald and it said, uh, yeah, we had a honeymoon in uh, down the Great Ocean Road. So uh, yeah, 15 years. So uh I guess that's a good fi- good finance tip there. If you can find a good partner to share the journey with you, it's, it's always going to be a plus, obviously. Absolutely. And I think your point about regrets is very important too, is that um, no matter where you are in your life, no matter how you got to where you are today, you can start on a trajectory that changes your life. Whether you're in credit card debt, you've got a car loan that's just horrible, if you've got some baggage with your personal relationships, you can start today. Uh, if you read Pete's first book, Get a Financial Grip, it's a great book to cover some of that those concepts. It may require sacrifice, or as we like to say at Rask, it, it may require a rearranging of your priorities. So maybe you don't go out and smoke. Maybe you don't go out and have a drink. Maybe you think, well, you know what? My partner and I, we've sat down. We think that we want a better life for ourselves in 10 years. So putting off going out for a drink today instead saving that money, that's not necessarily a sacrifice. It's just me rearranging to what we think is the best thing for us. And that way you don't treat budgeting. Like people always say budgeting is about sacrifice. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to feel like that. If you feel like, well, it's not sacrifice. I'm just moving to something else that I think is better. Um, so you can come at this today. You can start today to go on a journey to create wealth in property. We know it's not easy for that first property. We, 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 we've been there. We know that that's not easy. It does require you to focus on your your career, your salary, your savings rate, all that sort of stuff. We know it's not easy, but we are here to say that is a genuine strategy for you to move into property long-term. And if you're already on that journey, keep going um, and use whatever you've got available as your resources and your toolkit. Um, I will just reflect briefly on something um, before we get into the performance of property versus other types of investing over the long term. But um, the, many people will know the Rich Dad Poor Dad book by Robert Kiyosaki, uh, quite a very heavily promoted book, I would say. And interestingly, Pete was ghostwritten. I didn't know that until a few months ago. Um, it was written by someone else, but Robert Kiyosaki's name's on it. Um, interestingly, in that book, um, he talks about a concept which was later expanded into an adjacent book, which was called the Cash Flow Quadrant. Uh, and that basically has four corners of, just imagine like it's a quadrant, you've got a piece of paper in front of you, you've got top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right, um, just four squares. In the top left, you have um, basically your PAYG, your pay-as-you-go salary, it's what you earn from your nine to five. In the bottom left corner, you have um, your side hustle, your contract work, that type of stuff. So this is where you might get your own ABN in Australia and you might be a carpenter who goes and you know does your own jobs. Top right corner, you've got your own business. Now, this is in Australia, might be where you have your company, you might have people working for you, you start a business, you run a cafe, whatever. Bottom right corner is where you're an investor. And this is basically investing in something else. So it could be property, it could be shares, it could be whatever, might be, I don't know, if you're that way inclined, artwork, whatever the case. So you've got these four quadrants. 
the reason I bring this up is the first episode of 2024 in our show is that if you are only in that first quadrant, if you are only earning a wage and you're not doing with anything with your money, you have got to move out of that as soon as possible. So you've got to move to earning an extra income if that's like a, a contracting. It's not always pleasant to do that for a while, but maybe you need to, to earn a bit of extra coin so you can build that deposit and you can start investing. If you start your own business, that's definitely not for everyone. Take it from probably both of us here. <laughs> that is definitely not for everyone. But for some people, it works. And for some people, it works extremely well if you do it sensibly. We have an Australian business podcast too, by the way, if you're interested in that. But then the final quadrant is where you invest. And this is where you make money work for you. You don't have to work for that money. It's already invested for you. It will compound, as Pete said. We want you to move to that quadrant as quickly as you possibly can. And if you think about that, try to avoid being stuck in that first quadrant forever as your only means for for, for retirement, effectively. Um, some people can do it and they invest in super. That's a perfectly fine strategy. Earn as much as you can, put extra in super. But if you plan to retire early, it won't make any sense. So get out of that quadrant. We do have other courses and things on that and how you can make the most of your money. So have a look at those. But that is the concept we're trying to get across today. Start today, think about how you can increase your income and move across into investing as soon as possible. Now, Pete, one of the things that I learned in the early days of studying finance was that um, it's interesting to study the long-term performance of property and all the other different types of investments through time. How has property performed in Australia over whatever time period you want to look at? It's a good question. Yeah, on the quadrants point, um I think you're right. People spend so too much time focusing just on their career. And uh, this is something that's kind of drilled into you through school, by your mm. parents, university. Careers are important, but everyone should be an investor as well. I think, uh, as you said, um, I think, well, uh, Glenn James actually said on the Rask Roadshow, I remember him saying, there's two places you can make serious bank, business and property. And um, I think Kiyosaki says, build businesses and buy real estate. That was one of the things mm. I read and took away from his books years ago. Uh, but yeah, as you said, you've got your home, superannuation, you want to be an investor outside of super. Like, not everyone wants to start a business and it's not for everyone, but everyone should be an investor, whether you're a business owner, self-employed mm. or somebody with a professional career. So um, yeah, performance of property v shares. So yeah, I think we touched on a previous podcast. If you went back, the, the data is not that reliable, to be fair, if you go back pre-1970. But if we, if we were to start in 1970, uh, sort of just a, a medium or an average house in Sydney would cost $18,900. Today, uh, dare I say it, probably near 1.4 million. So it's about 8.5% compounding capital growth over the past 53 years or so. So from uh, from 1970 in Melbourne, a uh, typical house has gone from $13,000 to roughly a million dollars today. So about eight and a half percent. So I guess the, the general idea with property is um, that you, you may argue at various periods, um, the US stock market in particular might have delivered a higher percentage return, but with more volatility generally. Um, but generally, yes, in property, the, the, the idea is really, they say it's a game of finance with houses in the middle. You, you buy a property using some of the bank's money, which is uh, if you're buying an investment property, the interest tends to be tax deductible. Uh, you try and add some value with the renovation. And once you've built up some equity over time, you might redraw some of that equity, as you said, and then potentially 
uh, some future points uh, by another property. So usually um, I say, you know, it takes two property cycles to make significant uh, wealth or equity in the real estate market. You, you, you buy a property, get some equity in it, and then potentially you buy in another boom location and get a second cycle. And then at the end of the second cycle, you usually find uh, the numbers have been very favorable because you're using the bank's money or leverage. Mm. I think, um, you know, people might often say uh, that a, a stock market has delivered a higher return over various periods, which may well be true if you went back uh, to 1900, say. Um, but real estate is a different market. It's, it's kind of unique in a sense because there's no other market where you can use the same kind of leverage on the same terms. Mm. And that's the thing, right? Um, I, I, I want to just actually, I want to click on something there. A lot of people, when they think about quote unquote investing in property, they probably think of these things that they read in the news, watch in the telly, or see on social media of some guru that's built this gigantic property portfolio or makes what seems to be an extortionate amount of money. But you just said 8.5%. And I think if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. This is the long-term returns that we're talking about. And this is why it is a long-term asset class. But the beauty of property versus, say, shares in some instances, in most instances, is that you can add debt to it, as you said. And you have you said on the road last year that it's very unique in that property, residential property in particular for most of us, is the only thing where we can get that low cost of debt and invest in an asset that grows over the long term, assuming you buy the right asset. So you're effectively juicing that 8.5% return beyond what you would do with shares, which you don't, you can't get the same type of debt for. So it becomes risky actually. And so um, that is a key uh, strength of property as a wealth creator. Now we obviously see people unwind some of that debt or pay it off in later years and, and do other things with their money. But I think that's that's a point that we should we should drill into. It's like you can use the finance, as you said, it's kind of the <laughs> properties just in the middle. Uh, but also what the returns you can expect are not things like you may see when you think of the news, like flipping houses, getting 100% return in one year or something like that. The more realistic you are, the more likely you are to be successful, in my opinion. I think I might add to that. I mean, Australia in introduced inflation targeting in 1993. So there's a pretty good argument to say that in nominal terms, the percentage capital growth on property might well be lower in the future than it has been in the past. I mean, actually, I mean, people have been saying that for the past 20 years. Now, mm. hasn't, <laughs> hasn't really <laughs> happened. But I, I suppose, yeah, at least theoretically, uh, looking forward, you'd expect the, the growth in uh, the real estate market to be more closely tied to the growth in incomes over time. So, you know, it might, it might not be anywhere near as high in the future. But as you said, I mean, if you're putting down, um, let's say, a 20% deposit, well, you know, five times uh, gearing effectively, even if the return's 4 or 5%, uh, the capital growth actually, because it's magnified, ends up being pretty good. So real estate, yes, yeah, a unique um, triumvirate of lending conditions, as you said, low mortgage rates generally, mm. um, high loan-to-value ratios, uh, more so than most other asset classes, and very long mortgage terms with no margin calls. You don't get that in other asset classes. So, yeah, I mean, it, look, it's, it's different for everyone. If you were going to inherit... $50 million tomorrow, you'd probably say, well, why bother? You know, like uh, mm. just stick the money in a, a nice 60, 40 portfolio and off you go. Don't don't worry with tenants or leverage or anything like that. But for, yeah, people starting out, particularly younger people with good incomes and a long runway, well, yeah, using some leverage tends to be a good thing because inflation 
uh, tends to, well, effectively inflates away the mortgage debt over time, particularly if you're looking over, say, a 30-year time horizon. Um, well, like, uh, like you said, if you buy a house for, say, in the 90s for 100 grand, the mortgage at the times would have seen like a huge a burden. But mm. you fast forward to now, and you'd look back and you think, well, why wouldn't you have taken that deal? Put it on a credit card. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, so with the inflation targeting, if you, if you were to say, okay, well, inflation going forward might be, say, 2.5%. I know it's been higher. Uh, but it, even if you had 2.5% inflation over the next, say, 30 years, well, yeah, a loan of 500K today, it will feel like, even if you didn't pay off a single dollar, it would feel like less than half of that in 30 years' time in, in today's dollars, so to speak. So, yeah, you mm. do find that the debt gets inflated away. Now, most interest-only mortgages in Australia go for a five-year period, and then they flip to P&I and start paying down. So, yeah, usually people would have paid off um, some debt anyway over the over time. So, yeah, it's, it's actually uh, sometimes quite complicated to work out the real sort of return on property, uh, the internal rate of return, as they call it, because there's, there's a lot of different moving parts there. You've got mm. rental income, you've got mortgage payments, then you get these random repairs costs that people don't always account for in their returns. And then you've got the tax. Yeah. And then, yes, yeah, so the tax benefits of depreciation and negative gearing. It's actually way harder to work out the return on property. Um, but usually you find, yeah, if you stick at it and you buy well for the long term, uh, the way compounding works is that over time, your equity grows quite handsomely. Mm. Um now, I know you've gone on and you mentioned before that you've gone on and built a property portfolio yourself. Uh, Chris, who is the our resident mortgage broker on the show and hosts uh, every Sunday morning show with Pete, uh, he has a slightly different approach to property uh, for himself, which is that he tends to buy fewer uh, properties, but kind of focus on those with his clients, um, which is a perfectly reasonable strategy as well. Uh, Amy is a buyer's agent uh, and she's our other co-host on the show. Uh, she's also got a few properties to her name and she's done some renovations in recent years and tries to value add to the properties that she buys, particularly around Melbourne. And so basically we're not here to say that there's any one golden way to approach property and how to do it correctly. We've got some pretty strong views on how to do it the wrong way, um, such as buying uh, 50 or $100,000 apartments in Cairns and then watching uh, watching repair bills stack up and uh, eat into basically everything that you have. Um, but one of the one of the things we're going to cover this month, Pete, is basically like how to buy property and what to look for. Um, you and Amy, in particular, are extremely well versed in this. Um, but maybe uh, one of the things that I'll say is that things that you, some of the things that you guys have impressed upon me over the years are things like obviously location when you're buying property, um, having a property plan. I know you're a property coach. You work with people one-on-one. -on -one, you work with groups as well. Um, Amy's a buyer's agent. Chris is extremely skilled and adept at dealing with the financing issues and his team are too. Getting an expert on your side that can help you identify these things will help. Um, so building a property plan, location matters. Um, knowing the land value in particular is so important. So not just the property as a whole, but the land component of the property, um, knowing who you're going to sell that property to in the future. It's like starting with the end in mind, who is going to buy this? Typically a dual income family is a good one to sell to uh, if you do intend to sell a property. Um, and I guess just being exposed to property is actually really positive in my mind. Being exposed to any type of investment is really positive in my mind. But if you are looking to make a decision to purchase a property, 
please keep listening to the show. Amy's got her 100-point checklist in the show notes. We've done episodes on property plans. Get in touch with Pete. Book in a free call with him. Uh, get some common sense uh, through experts who know what they're doing. Um, so upcoming episodes, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, buying a property. We're going to talk about the financing process. We're going to talk about due diligence and these types of things and how to actually go about the actual process of it. We do have a free course that's on Rask for those of you that are uh, new to the series. If you're if you're wondering, 2024 is my year to get on the property ladder, or I want to upgrade, or I want to do it better. We had someone write into us the other day, Pete, that had a uh, an apartment they bought in 2008, and they want to sell it in 2024 for $20,000 less than they bought it for. Um, so, you know, they've got a lower mortgage, but mistakes like that are probably too common. Um, so please tune in, use the resources that we have available for free. Um, Pete, we just did a, we just polished off an episode where we reviewed 2023. We looked into 2024. As we think about the year ahead, just generally speaking, are you optimistic about the property market in Australia? Are you neutral? How are you feeling? I think 2024 will be a positive year for the market. I think, uh, Less uncertainty. We've had a really uncertain couple of years, um, firstly with uh, lockdowns and then later with inflation and interest rates. But things are starting to work themselves out again. I think the economy is getting back into some kind of uh, some sort of equilibrium, I suppose, which is really good. Um, and yeah, we've got record high population growth, record low vacancy rates. So rents have been booming. Um, so yeah, it's construction and uh, supply just isn't keeping up and i guess mm. that's going to be the case for the next uh, two or three years so yeah generally um i think for people with um uh, good quality assets or who buy well it, it will be a good sort of period ahead um you know there's always ups and downs when you think about all the stuff that's happened in 2023 there's been plenty of shocks um but generally uh, the market's performed pretty well double digit growth in a lot of areas so yeah i think um yeah, pretty optimistic outlook, I think, for 2024 and actually less uncertainty than we've had for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's we when we, we're always reminding folks that it's a, a long-term strategy. You, you said two market cycles. So it comes back to not exposing yourself to excessive risk. If you overstretch yourself, for example, if you don't have poor, if you, if you have poor savings, hygiene, um, these types of things. We, we mentioned Glenn James before. Uh, we did an episode with him, I think it was last year, where um, we talked about like the quickest way to $100,000 is to maximize your savings rate. And how do you do that? Well, you earn more and you spend less. It sounds very crude to say, I'm sorry, but that is what you're trying to do in those early days to get yourself in a financial position, personal finance, to get on and start investing in property. Most of our listeners are well beyond that. Of the 25,000 people that tune into this show, most people are already either in the process of buying or are well on that journey. Um, one thing we'll say to everyone that hasn't yet subscribed is please subscribe and please come and see us on the road this year. If we're on the road again, like we were in 2023, we'd love to see you in person. Uh, sure, we release our two episodes on a Thursday every week and a Sunday morning. Every week we release episodes and we're just trying to be helpful uh, for you. But come and say good day. We'd love to catch up. We'd love to have a chat. We'd love to share a Palmer or a Palmy or debate the difference um, with you in person. Pete, I know it's a big year ahead for us. Um, I really do appreciate you taking the time. We've got some great episodes coming down the pike uh, for people in January. Once again, mate, thanks a lot. 
Thanks, Aaron. Veggie parmi for me, a vegetarian, but uh, <laughs> definitely always keen to catch up around the tracks. And uh, yeah, it's been a great year. Cheers. Cheers, man. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.